Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's happy team preview season. For the next eight weeks, we'll be going through each and every NFL division, starting with the AFC East, giving you guys hopefully about a 45-minute preview of exactly what to expect from each and every fantasy-relevant player on the squad. Today's team, none other than the defending, reigning, undisputed AFC East champions, the Buffalo Bills. Joining me, as always, to accomplish this task, none other than five-time PFF All-Star Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, how are you? Oh, man. I thought it was only a four, four-time PFF No, man. Congrats. Yeah. You found out. You found out today. <laughs> I, I got that one while I was on vacation. Sweet. I will take it. You know, I'll take that one for the suntan or something like that. I don't know. Dwayne just spent the last week in Cancun actually, you know, not touching grass, probably touching some sand, man. How was it? Oh, dude, it was phenomenal. Uh, I put, I just only took one picture to put on, you know, Twitter. I sent it to you, but the pool was freaking phenomenal. Uh, but his dude is awesome. Like I totally stepped away from social media for like almost a week. Didn't really pay attention to anything except uh, like just recharging my brain, hanging out my with uh, friends, family, uh, my wife. And yeah, it was, it was awesome. It was my wife's sister's wedding. So we had a blast. One of my favorite comedians is uh, Bill Burr, and he was talking about, like, you know, the idea of getting canceled. And his point was, like, canceled by who? He's like, you put you put your phone down, and, like, you're just living life. Like, you don't need to completely <laughs> be locked up the, in this world. Not saying you should all be going and saying a bunch of stuff that's going to get you canceled, but uh, I think it does help. Sometimes put that phone down, turn that social media off, see what life has for it. You know, I say that as someone that spends more time on Twitter than just about anyone, so not trying to be a hypocrite here. But anyway, great job by Dwayne. Experiencing some of that good old thing that we know as life. But let's talk some Bills football. Main format for these team preview episodes, we're going to go through any coaching changes, notable offseason moves before going with the rundown, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Again, touching on each and every fantasy relevant player. This will take us through about July 8th. Dwayne and I are still going to have other episodes throughout this time touching on main topics, but we want to get as good of an understanding about all these players, all these teams as possible before the thick of true draft season comes around in late July and into August. So with all that said, let's get after it. Big thing with the Bills is the continuity. They've had this ever since Sean McDermott took over. He's back for his sixth season, as is defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier. Brian Dable was there the entire way, but this will be the first time they don't have, you know, that holy trinity intact. He is now the head football coach for the New York Giants. Not expecting much of a change, though. His replacement, Ken Dorsey, has spent the last three years as Josh Allen's direct quarterback's coach. So, Dwayne, when we look at the Bills, They've passed the ball more and more as Josh Allen has progressed. Makes sense. 24th to 11th and most recently third in pass play rate in non-garbage time situations. Last year, they also ranked ninth in situation neutral pace per football outsider. So going from Dable to Dorsey, I don't think we have much of a reason to expect much of a change. This looks like an offense that's still going to be throwing the ball all around the yard and moving at a pretty, pretty fast pace while they do it. Yeah, I don't think there's much reason to think there'll be a change with Ken Dorsey, um, who is also, you know, he played quarterback in college. So um, I think he went to your your buddy Duke Johnson's university. How'd that, um, but, how'd that championship go against the Buckeyes, right? Is that, <laughs> is that, that yeah, game? Was that, was that the McGahee game? <laughs> it oh, might have been. Oh. It might have been. But yeah, I think, I think we'll pretty much see the same thing. I think the thing, you know, the high level with the Bills, what you're getting is a team that runs a ton of plays. Last year, 67.1 plays per game in regulation. So exclude overtime, we can't really predict which teams are going to have overtime, which ones are not. So that was 3.7 plays per game above the league average. If you look at them over the last three years, they've been above the league average every year. Um, You hit on some of the neutral stuff, but like trailing their plus 4% and pass rate, close games plus 11% versus the league average. 
average in pass rate. And even when they're leading, plus 7% pass rate um, versus the NFL average. So I think we'll still, I think we're going to see a pass heavy team. I think as we get into the personnel, like it will be interesting to discuss, like, do we see as much 10? I think we're going to see a ton of 11 personnel. But, you know, I think there are questions at the receivers behind Stefan Dick. So we'll get to that in a minute. So I think we could see a slight shift, um, maybe a little less 10 personnel. Maybe they mix in more 12 personnel, picking up O.J. Howard, some things like that. Or maybe even getting the backs a little bit more involved, even getting two of them on the field at the same time now that they have James Cook. The good news is the underlying pass play rate and stuff like we should have more than one fancy relevant pass catcher in this offense. We have had that for past years, but, you know, future episodes we're going to have with the Dolphins and Patriots. There's going to be some teams where I think once you get past that number one option in the passing game, you're taking a bit of a leap of faith. Don't have to worry about that quite as much in Buffalo. Going to quickly run down the relevant offseason moves at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. Last year's backup quarterback, Mitch Trubisky, now with the Steelers. Case Keenum was acquired by trade to now be the number two behind Josh Allen. At running back, Matt Breida, out of the picture, signed with the Giants, replaced by Duke Johnson on a minimal one-year, $1.2 million contract. Cole Beasley has been released. He is still a free agent. Emmanuel Sanders remains a free agent. Jameson Crowder came in on a one-year, $4 million deal to presumably work as the offense's new starting slot receiver. Also have tight end O.J. Jay Howard joining the crew via a one-year $3.5 million contract, seemingly going to work as the offense's number two tight end. In the draft, Dwayne, you mentioned it, running back James Cook at the end of the second round also took fifth-round wide receiver Khalil Shakur. So we'll talk about those, you know, in-depth moves a little bit more when they're relevant. Just wanted to catch everyone up. It's a long-ass offseason. Uh, you know, Dwayne, I was talking about, like, Jacoby Myers uh, yesterday and just tweeting about it and shit, and someone throws Devontae Parker out there. I was like, oh, my God, I forgot about that one move. So, yeah, 32 teams and we've had about three straight months of our constant transactions going. I uh, just want to make sure we try to remember each and every one when relevant. But with all that said, let's get into the quarterback. Just this stretch that Josh Allen is on. I want to make sure people realize how incredible it truly is because fantasy football points, even if you think that they're better stats, it's a good accumulation of a, accumulation of yards, touchdowns, the same sort of metrics that non-fantasy people usually use to try to diagnose how good someone is. Fantasy points is just a nice cumulative stat to try to combine all those things. And Josh Allen, being the reigning overall QB1 in fantasy football, defended it. Two years in a row, first quarterback to pull that off since Dante Culpepper did so in 2003 and 2004. I spent a lot of time, shout out pro football reference, going through every single year, Dwayne, of the last 50 years to find the only quarterbacks to be three straight overall QB1s of fantasy football. Steve Young did it from 1992 to 1994. Brett Favre did it from 95 to 97. If Josh Allen can get one more year with it, he's going to be in that group. I think he's both of our overall QB1s, Dwayne. It's just the ceiling he has from a passing yard and rushing yard standpoint We've talked about this. Really, the only guy I think you could somewhat envision having a bigger overall year if everything goes right is Kyler Murray. Yeah, I mean, anytime you have the player that can do what he does on the ground, score the rushing touchdowns, and, you know, also has this huge ceiling as far as the passing game and that pass-heavy offense that we talked about because he's a good player, so it makes sense that they would want to throw the ball more. But, I mean, he's just a player that's gotten – you know, really good over the last couple of seasons. You know, he took that huge leap in 2020 last year, a little bit backwards, like in a couple of areas, like real football wise, but nothing like 
too super alarming, like still really good, like when kept clean, um, was number one out of 32 quarterbacks against pressure. We know pressure isn't always consistent year to year. Um, both quarterbacks actually that, you know, we'll be talking about, you know, over these first two episodes were actually really good against pressure. Um, and just, you know, the big time throws is the other thing, you know, he's six out of 32. So it's just a matter of, you know, can you just make sure he keeps the turnover, you know, worthy plays down, those sort of things, and just continue to, to do just all he has to do is just drop back and deal. I mean, the dude is uh, – like he's, I mean, he's basically foolproof. Like it's would, like what would you say? What would have to happen for Josh Allen to bust? Like other than injury, like I, I can't even come up with a scenario because of you know just his archetype and all the things that he does, um, you know that he can put up fantasy points doing. That's the thing, man. Even before he took that major leap in 2020, he was still a great fantasy quarterback before yeah. that. I mean, 2018, he worked as the QB1 for, I believe, the final five weeks of the season once he came back from injury. In 2019, he was still a, I think he finished like QB7 overall because he runs so much, man. Number 10 in the NFL since entering the league in total rushing touchdowns. Like that is just absolutely insane. If you look at it, and I floated this out there a few times before, I'll probably float it out there a few times again because it's crazy. Crazy. Josh Allen has 31 career rushing touchdowns. Mike Vick had 36, man. Not saying he's Mike Vick, but man, the touchdowns are Mike Vick-esque and just have down inside the five, he's better than Mike. Exactly. He can take he can just take he can he can plow his way into the end zone. It doesn't have to be these long runs. And he could throw for five thousand freaking yards potentially. So you're right about the turnover worthy plays, but even last year, man, only Big Ben and Taylor Heineke had more turnover worthy plays. Nobody had more drop interceptions than Josh Allen. It was a roller coaster year that I think a lot of people forgot about because of just how blistering good he was, you know, in that two game playoff stretch. And that should be included in the year as well. But the fact that he really did take a step back from 2020 and it didn't matter. Like, again, yeah, like what's his worst case? What's his floor? Like QB8 or something? Even then, like, I think it'd be hard for us to explain it. I don't know how I could get him to QB8 even. Like, I feel like his floor is QB3. Like I yeah. just, I don't really see a way, you know. Do you even have uh, is is it him and Kyler in that top tier, or is Josh Allen all alone? Yeah, I have them together, but like Josh Allen's the clear number one, and yeah. people don't me, need me to explain that. Like their ADPs are so they're pretty far apart. Like so, I have been doing my projections, so I'll go ahead and just share real quick. Like as we go through these for the relevant ones, obviously Allen's uh, relevant. So I've got him projected for four thousand four hundred ninety nine yards passing. I've got him for thirty nine passing touchdowns. 13 interceptions, and then I have him for 585 yards on the ground, which would be less than last year. Last year he had 763, but the year before 421, 510 before that. We won't really count the year before that. I only played 12 games, but he had 630 in that season. So um, he's still getting plenty of the design rushing plays. That's the other big part for him. 17 and a half percent is what I have him projected for. But then also like he likes to scramble, like not as much as people think, but I mean, when you take a six and a half percent scramble rate on how often they throw, and then you add in the design rushing plays, you know, I mean, he has 20, I have him at 26% of the team's rushing attempts. So that's going to be one of the highest in the league. Like the only person that will probably top him um, from a true percentage of the team's rushing attempts in my projections, probably two people, probably be Jalen Hurts and then Lamar Jackson. Josh Allen, the QB1, Dwayne and I both. Let's move on to a little bit more of a question. Other than, you know, AFC Championship, Super Bowl, you know, the real-life accomplishments Josh Allen still has to reach, the only thing he hasn't really done in fantasy land is enable a consistently high-end fantasy running back. Now we got James Cook there, but Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, and the aforementioned Duke Johnson also making up the backfield. Right now I have James Cook as my RB35, Devin Singletary right behind him at RB36. 
Dwayne, I just don't know if it's really worth it. Again, every player can have their price. So if you only have one running back in your first you know, seven rounds and you see these Bills players there, yeah, if they're going to be priced outside the top 35 players potentially, I'm willing to make them you know, just my zero RB targets, if you will. But you mentioned it, man, the scrambling and Josh Allen's nose for the end zone. It just makes an environment for any sort of a committee really tough in fantasy land. I mean, Bill's running backs last two years, they're 27th in targets and 25th in carries inside the five yard line. Like those are numbers that you would think would be so much higher inside of such a high scoring and pass first offense. But it's just the way they do things there. You know, they're throwing the ball more of the wide receivers or Josh Allen is taking off on his own. So we saw the hot streak last year, Dwayne, Devin Singletary, RB 14, 7, 10. 5-3 over the last five weeks of the regular season. Goes on, has himself a nice, nice playoff stretch too. But hearing GM Brandon Bean say himself, this is a quote, we see his, talking about James Cook, best skill set as a sub back, but I think he can handle carries too if we give him some more carries. They flirted with J.D. McKissick. I don't think we're getting that Devin Singletary end the season stretch again. And even with that stretch, man, he finished as the RB 31. He look at 2018, their best running back on a per game basis, RB 44, 2019, RB 28, 2020, RB 43. Do you think either James or cook really have a best case scenario worth chasing here, Dwayne, because without an injury or two, I think we still just see a pretty much split committee. That's not going to give us anything more than an RB three. Yeah, I think that's the most likely outcome. But like James Cook is where I would want to put my chip just because I think the upside is you get a rookie season type Alvin Kamara, right? You know, you're in a heavy passing offense. We don't have a truly defined number two option in the passing game right now. I think it's like it's it's up in the air. Like I know we like Gabriel Davis. You know, there's folks that like Dawson Knox. I know we've got Jamison Crowder, but none of those names when you look at their profiles are really, a, you know, elite going to demand a lot of targets. We have Stefan Diggs, and then behind that, you've really got an opening, which could either mean, A, there's an opportunity for, you know, someone like James Cook to step up and maybe have a bigger target share than what we would think. Maybe you could get to like 15%. You know, that would, in this offense, as much as they throw the ball, like we'll that's that. going to that's gonna be an RB2, like if he does that for as explosive as the team's going to be. And then he's also an explosive playmaker. You know, he was third in this draft class and his percentage of carries that went for 10 yards or more at 19%. So even if he only gets like 125, you know, 100 and, you know, 150 rushing would, uh, attempts would probably be like the max I would project him for. But I think we could see 100 to 125 attempts. If you get that and you get somewhere like, um, you know, 85, 95 targets, somewhere in that range, I think you're going to be feeling really good. Like, and then there's a lot of room for upside. I mean, right now I have him actually only projected for 64 targets at a 10% target share. But this is, I'm doing my median projections first. I'm not doing my upside, you know, or my ceiling and floors yet. Like I'll come back through and do those. But in my ceiling case for James Cook, like it's going to be along the archetype of, you know, an Alvin Kamara. Whereas for Devin Singletary, I really feel like the only path for him is going to be like James Cook getting hurt because we've already seen his profile. Like he's a nice player. And I feel like we hate on Devin Singletary. Um, I think you and I, like we gave him a lot of props down the stretch last year, but like if you look at his yards per route run, he's just never been a good receiver at this level. Um, uh, 0.6, 0.85, 0.72 targets per route run well below the 18% average for NFL backs at 13%, 15% and 14%. Um, so he's nice on the ground above the NFL averages and missed tackles force yards after contact. A lot of things where pe people probably don't give him enough credit, even an explosive rush rate. You know, he's over the NFL average each of the last three seasons. So I think, you know, 
he's still going to be viable on the ground. But I think what I'm what I'm looking for is the player that gives me that high upside as far as explosive plays and could really get in, involved in the receiving game. And we've seen just how much the Bills really would like to throw the ball. Like, what if they had a back they could just leave on the field and basically say, yeah, we're just going to throw the ball 85 percent of the time this game. And we're just going to see how that goes. Like, there are a lot of different scenarios and they may feel like outliers, but like I feel like the the biggest upside is really sitting with James Cook outside of an injury, um, which would just really reopen the door for Singletary because Zach Moss, I mean, Singletary just took the job from, from Moss last year. So I don't think we really have to worry about Zach Moss anymore. Duke Johnson, we like him. I know he's a personal fave of yours, but I don't think we think of him as being this huge threat. So Singletary would have contingent value if James Cook went down, but if I'm drafting two of them and right now on FFPC, thanks to fantasy mojo, RB33, Devin Singletary, and that's not even best ball. That's actually over the last uh, Football Guys Players Championship, their last 16 drafts. Um, Singletary is going RB33, James Cook going RB36. I'm seeing similar stuff from Underdog, who we can now probably start to use a little bit more again for relevant ADP, given that we are now in the post-draft era. Singletary still carrying that RB33. James Cook just a little bit lower, RB35. I am with you, Dwayne. I got James Cook over Singletary. I will not be buying Singletary at that price. I'm fine getting Cook at that price. Where do you have Cook ranked, though, specifically? Are you with me? We're like, we're not talking about more than a low-end RB3, albeit the Kamara best case scenario, it's on the table. Like they use a second yeah. round pick on them. And to your point, like there really isn't a completely ingrained number two option. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that we just have a bunch of guys in this offense kind of getting between 70, 90 targets behind Gabriel Davis. And those would be worth a hell of a lot more for the running back in the equation. Exactly. So I'm, I'm with you. I just have him as an upside RB3, right? Okay. We, but we just know that ceiling is there. He's going to give you flex value. Um, uh, he's going to be a player. I think that you're going to be able to find ways to get him into your lineup. We, we just don't know how good we're going to feel about that. <laughs> you know, yeah. if you're in best ball, like I don't think you're gonna have any worries. Uh, if you're in a redraft league, like, you know, it's hard for us to predict exactly what that's going to look like. If he were to follow along like this median path that I have, like, which is 64 targets for 51 receptions, 411 yards, three touchdowns. And then I've got him at 124 rushing attempts. For 560 yards, but I've got him at five rushing touchdowns because of his explosiveness. Like that puts him at 195 PPR points, you know? So, I mean, he's going to be, I mean, that's going to be usable even at his median. I'm probably a tad high on him still, but I wanted to make sure that I got him a little bit above, like probably where consensus is. Um, so yeah, I, I love him. I think he's a great upside RB3 play. I'm going to be over the market. I think that's the best way like for me to talk about it. Cause I draft so many teams like, <laughs> and I have a portfolio, but if people really want to know, like, well, what are you doing? I will be above the market or over the market on James Cook, meaning my exposure versus say someone else drafts 100 teams. I'll expect my exposure to be over theirs on James Cook. And that exposure mentioned FFPC, love our friends over there, but really love our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. The best place to play fantasy football this summer is, in fact, Underdog Fantasy. Their best ball mania tournament has $10 million in total prize money. And the best part is you just draft a fantasy football team, and that's it. No waivers, no trades, no in-season management. Underdog gives you your best score each week of the season and the highest scores at the end of the year when the champion of best ball mania last year drafted in June, so there's no time like the present. Join Underdog and take your shot at a million-dollar draft. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the promo code PFF. 
And also, if you play 10 of those dollars using pro promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. I've come to you guys a couple times when we've had these really good deals. This is one of them. If you guys do not have an existing underdog account, go use code PFF. Just $10, you get that free PFF subscription. That's likely going to be better than anything else you're going to see throughout the rest of the summer. We got code fantasy for you always. Get you 25% off, but just $10 to get that free PFF sub. It's going to be tough to beat that. So if you plan on signing up for fantasy, for gambling, for anything else related to PFF for the season, why not do so now over at Underdog Fantasy? Again, promo code PFF. Play 10 of those dollars and get that free PFF subscription. Also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Get Sunday. If you don't have weeds, bear patches, or pet spots, Sunday can help you solve all these problems and more. The easy way, they got everything you need from fertilizer to seeds to weed control, and it's all delivered right to your door. And Sunday is kind enough to offer our lovely listeners 20% off. Full season's plans start at just $129. And again, you can get 20% off at checkout when you visit GetSunday.com slash fantasy. Again, that's GetSunday.com slash fantasy. And yes, everyone, that's going to wrap up our lovely ads. Appreciate them as always. We will resume with a look at the Buffalo Bills wide receiver room. This is the main event, Brain. Uh, this is the Brain. You do have a good brain. brain. Wow. But this is the main event, Dwayne, because no one has dominated fantasy discussion like Gabriel Davis this offseason. We'll get to him in a second. Let's talk to some <laughs> Stefan Diggs. Some respect here. My yeah. wide receiver four. Here's my thought process on Stefan Diggs, uh, Dwayne. I'll pull up my rankings here for the lovely YouTubers out there to see him. But when I look at the big three, tier, if you want to tear them up into two, that's fine. But, you know, we only have three wide receivers in that top, top, top tier or two top two tiers. Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. I don't think anyone's dis disputing that. After that, if you want to have these guys in the same tier, I think that makes sense. I certainly do. But when I look at Stefan Diggs versus Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, the CD Lambs of the world, I look at volume. Nobody has more targets than Stefan Diggs at wide receiver over the past two years. So no one can have better volume than him. I look at quarterback. Devontae, Tyreek, they didn't used to have that quarterback problem. Now there's at least more of a question, whereas Stefan Diggs is still catching balls from Josh freaking Allen, who – let's face it, did have a little bit of a step back efficiency-wise throughout most of the 2021 regular season. So when people say, why did Diggs' efficiency go down a little bit? Like, I think Marshawn Lattimore's head is still spinning from that route that got put on him near that goal line, man. Nothing about what we saw on Diggs on the field really indicated that there was a big drop-off that happened. I think it was more of just him just not having that crazy good of a season because it's hard to be that damn good two years in a row. So when I look at Diggs, Dwayne, I think he checks every single boxes, and we don't have to worry about the same sort of new offense concern that guys like Adams Tyreek maybe Debo depending on the trade AJ Brown have to deal with where do you have Diggs ranked and do you think he's deserving of going ahead of some of these guys that I think consensus ranking might play out will be ahead of them yeah I have him in a tier with um you know Tyreek Hill with Devontae Adams but like right I'm just now like doing my true like thousand you know meters deep like kind of dive like into all of this stuff and doing my projections and i've been working on it getting ready for this show and yeah the more that i've looked at it, and i even put out a tweet about it you know earlier today like you know just looking at what Diggs has done over the last couple of years looking at the offense he plays in you mentioned the quarterback you know there's a scenario where he still finishes as the wide receiver one you know yep. it's not it's it's not even like a stretch to say it but it's not just having you know a wide receiver one season like he can have one of these really huge seasons like if you look around him you know we'll talk about the other guys in a minute i'm not trying to spoil it but like look these guys they're adjusted market share so adjusting for games and time missed and all that stuff 
he does man, the rest of the Bills receivers, I'm sorry, they're average to below average. Like if, if we're just taking their profiles, not to say they can't get better, they can't have a good season. There are actually some silver linings for these guys, and we'll talk through it. But overall, like compared to what Devontae Adams dealing with with Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller, like Stefan Diggs has less target competition. Like we look at Tyreek Hill, you know, he doesn't have a Jalen Waddle. And so all the other things that we already mentioned on top of that, um, you look at Debo, like we've already talked about him multiple, multiple times in the offseason. You got to deal with Brandon Ayuk. You got to deal with George Kittle. So really, Diggs is not dealing with any of those things and is in a better offense for a receiver, especially in PPR format. So, yeah, I think Diggs is going to end up jumping up to my wide receiver four. I'm actually toying, like just putting him in the tier, like just putting him in that first tier, you know, with the other guys. I just I feel that's he just. You, you said it. He checks all the boxes, man. Yeah. Like we don't have to like over explain it. But like when you look at it, his adjusted uh, target shares over the last several seasons, you know, he's got a 23%, 23%, 27%, 21%, 25%. Like he's always above the 20%, usually towards the middles. And in, in, in an offense like the Bills, the cool thing about it, like even if you're not a 30% person, like 25% can be a huge season in this offense. But if somehow Diggs does have a 30% season, Dude, he's going to finish as the wide receiver one overall. Like if he has a 30% target share season in the Buffalo Bills passing offense, like he's going to finish as the top receiver in the league. Yards per route run, all those things all look good. Targets per route run. The biggest thing for him last year, he just had a slight, you know, bump down in routes. And I think that the Bills honestly are a little less, they have less depth in my opinion now at receiver. And so I don't think they'll be able to keep, you know, Diggs off of the field. Um, it's kind of like they were rotating guys just to keep them healthy. I did see that Diggs had a, um, you know, I, I remember he had gotten hurt and hurt in preseason. So I went back and I was looking at that and it didn't seem to be bothering him early in the year, but I do wonder, you know, he had a knee injury that kept him out of training camp for a while. You know, is that something that potentially lingered through the season? A lot of times we never hear those things, Ian. We never hear like if a player was battling any kind of slight injury. So I, I saw some people saying, oh yeah, Diggs, is a year or two years ago was really a fluke and i'm like well you just need to keep looking further back because like the dude from all the underlying metrics we care about like he's been blowing them up you know year after year this will be year eight he'll be 28.8 years old when the season starts so i mean he's still well within the prime i love it yeah we're not too worried about the wide receivers until they get that three um starting off their age number so love stefan Diggs, the wide receiver four heard it here from Dwayne and myself let's get to mr gabriel davis Two seasons, Dwayne, two professional seasons. He's got 18 touchdowns. He just turned 23 in April, has not commanded even 65 targets in a season. He could double that amount this year, feasibly. Maybe not. Maybe they just decide to spread things around. But every single offseason move so far has gone right for Gabriel Davis. From Emmanuel Sanders not being resigned. Cole Beasley leaving the picture. Replacing Cole Beasley with Jamison Crowder. The only wide receiver they drafted took until the fifth round. And Khalil Shakur. Maybe he can work on the outside. He looks to project more as a slot receiver, though. Either way, it's, doesn't, it's not enough draft capital to think that Gabriel Davis's starting spot is at true risk based on uh, Shakur. Maybe he'll surprise, but everything we've seen, Dwayne, has looked fantastic for Gabriel Davis. We talked about him before the draft being overvalued because the assumption was all these things were going to go right. Well, they have. So are we in on it? Gabriel Davis, upside wide receiver three, because looking at this offense, man, we talked about how pass heavy it is. We talked about how good Josh Allen is, all the underlyings. This is the type of situation where we should expect two top 
fantasy wide receivers. Since 2010, there's been an average of 4.3 teams per season having multiple top 24 PPR wide receivers. And if you look at Josh Allen, man, he's enabled in each of these last three years, a top 20 wide receiver alongside a top 40 option. Now I know that's not two top 24 guys, but similar to like, okay, the floor isn't wide, like top 10 wide receiver for Gabriel Davis, like we were talking about with Josh Allen, but man, we know how efficient the guy can be with even 60 targets. Like I think where he's being drafted, maybe now we're not even considering the upside enough Dwayne, because the number two receiver in this offense certainly seems to be Gabriel Davis. I think we would all make that, you know, bet right now. And the number two receiver in Buffalo has usually been a wide receiver three at worst. I think someone like Gabriel Davis could provide, you know, some of that low end wide receiver two goodness, if not higher that that like John Brown was giving a couple of years ago. Overall thoughts on Gabriel Davis, and are you in on him as an upside wide receiver three? Yeah, I mean, the beauty of Davis is the ADP right now. Uh, over at FFPC is wide receiver 33. On underdog is wide receiver 28. So you're getting him as a wide receiver three. Um, and either one of those is a full PPR, or the other one is a half. Um, but I think he's fine, you know, at both of those price tags. But when I look at Gabriel Davis, like all the things you just mentioned, like I love. So number one, like if Gabriel Davis, even if he doesn't improve Ian, you know, even let's say like, you know, he's been an 18% target per route guy uh, last season. Um, the season before that, he was 13%. But let's just say he doesn't take another step forward, right? He doesn't turn into like this 20, 22%, 24% target per route guy, which is okay. Not not everybody can do that. Like that's, that's really like Diggs is a 24% guy. Like he's elite, you know, or he's a 25% guy. But let's say Davis stays at 18%. The only thing Davis really needs to end up being a wide receiver three is just to actually be the starting receiver opposite yeah. of Diggs, like what you mentioned. And um, because if you look at him last season, um, you know, if you looked at him for the first like two thirds of the year, he was only out there for about 30% of the routes each game. And then starting in week 14, all the way through the divisional round of the playoffs, um, he all of a sudden got basically a full-time role opposite of Stefan Diggs. He averaged 21% of the team's targets over that stretch. So I haven't projected for 15% of the targets right now. And he's already coming out as a PPR 186 points, which is going to be like a, it's, it's a fringy wide receiver three, but the 15%, the only reason I'm doing that is because if you take his adjusted target share, you know, over his first two seasons, he's had 10% each of the two years. Like, so that's adjusting for games missed and things like that. But if he does somehow hit like that 21%, like that's where my, that's where my ceiling projection will probably come for digs. Like since I'm just sitting here, like I'll just put it in right now. Like if I change that to 21%, his PPR points jump to 241 points. Ooh. Yeah. So, and if you look at, yeah. So if you look at, you know, if you look at history, you know, and you look at what a 241 point receiver gets you yeah, you're going to really like it. So I think his range, like once it settles in, I think his ceiling is going to be somewhere like wide receiver 18. The question is going to be um, like, you know, what do we really think his floor is? Because I think his floor is actually lower than what we're talking about. And the only reason why is because when you look at the profile that he has, you look at his first two years, his draft capital, you look at his targets per route run, you look at his yards per route run, and you start looking at really the comparables. Like here are the here are his comps. Darius Slayton, James Washington, Devin Funches, Torrey Smith, Reuben Randall, Jermaine Curse. Right. So from just a pure talent standpoint, setting aside the fact that he gets to play with Josh Allen, setting aside the fact that, right, he plays under and just a good offense overall for receivers because they throw the ball so much, there's still some concerns. Like, can Gabriel Davis take this next step forward? So I think you could look at, you could make a case either way. But again, for me, the beauty is I'll either be even or over the market on my exposure to Gabriel Davis is because like we talked about it 
you know, the reason why you didn't need to draft Gabriel Davis two months ago is because ADP is not moving and staying where it was because people had already baked in all of this, assuming that Gabriel Davis was already the number two on the team. So as long as his ADP stays in that wide receiver three range, like I think it's going to be easy to continue to gain, you know, exposure to Gabriel Davis, mix him in with other players. I do admit, though, he could still he could still he could go either way. Like he could still end up, even though we think he kind of like, wow, how could he screw this up? He could still end up outside of wide receiver three range. But I feel like there's enough upside that he, you know, potential to be, you know, a mid-tier wide receiver too, um, you know, maybe even push like upwards close to wide. I don't, I don't want to get crazy with the wide receiver one thing, but just because of his comps. But like, it's in the range of outcomes. So Here's I think the, the price, yeah. I think the price tag is good. I think once you look at the wide receiver group as a whole, it's just tough to be overly confident in someone else working as the number two ahead of them. And I think based on what you were saying before, like if he can just get the routes to that 80, 90% range week by week, he doesn't even necessarily need the big boost and the targets per route run for him to actually see a bunch more on the season as a whole. So if there was even a chance that he was going to have his outside reps rotated with someone else, I'd be concerned. But Dwayne, if anyone has that concern, I think it's Jamison Crowder. This is the other big question here. So I think we're both ahead of the pack on Gabriel Davis. I have him wide receiver 25. You have him in that range as well. And based on that ADP right now, we are buying Gabriel Davis to the freaking moon people. Let's figure out if we want another guy here. Last year, Cole Beasley was one of my favorite late round guys, and he ended up cashing in on that just fine. You know, didn't win me any championships necessarily, but I believe he finished as a top 40 wide receiver. And because of all the COVID stuff going on, like he was basically free at the end of drafts, even though he was someone getting 100 targets from Josh Allen. Do we think that guy could be Jamison Crowder, Dwayne? Because Hey, if he just comes in and plays the Cole Beasley role from like 2019 through the first half of 2021, things are going to be good. Here's the problem, though. After uh, after McKenzie had that great game against the Patriots, when Beasley missed time, he was out. McKenzie comes in, has like over 100 yards, one or two touchdowns. From week 17 through the divisional round, neither Beasley nor McKenzie played more than 51% of the offensive snaps. We want wide receivers in this offense, but if Crowder and McKenzie are basically going to split time in that slot, that's where it gets tough. Crowder's deal, only about $4 million. You know, McKenzie's deal, I think, was two years, about 6 or $9 million. Do you think either of these guys are worth it? Because they're both free at the end of drafts right now. I'm just not exactly sure who's going to be the starting slot receiver at this point in time. Yeah, I would put my chip on Crowder. Um, I think, you know, McKenzie can still get on the field, like even in 10 personnel. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the tight ends in a minute. Um, but you mentioned it. Like once he had that breakout game, basically Beasley had seen a ceiling of 75 to 85% routes per drop back. And after that game from McKenzie, it dropped down to basically 65%. So when you're playing slot and you're in Buffalo, it's it's okay because they run a lot of 11 personnel, but now all of a sudden, if you're giving away 20% of your routes to 10 to 20% of your routes to someone else like McKenzie, you know, it really does hurt your fantasy value. The thing I'll say with Jamison Crowder, um, like from a historical standpoint, I mean, he's, he's going to be 29.3 years old. So before we get too crazy about him being old, he, he's going into his eighth season. I mean, he's almost the same age as Stefan Diggs. Diggs, 28.8, season eight. 29.3 season eight for Jamison Crowder and Crowder's adjusted target shares, you know, over the last three seasons, 17%, 22%, 23% yards per route run. He's got a 1.7 and a 1.58, which is not bad as a slot receiver. It's not elite, like, you know, an, an over a two, but if you look at him from a pedigree standpoint, like he really has more than any of these other receivers behind Stefan Diggs. So it wouldn't surprise me 
if Jamison Crowder ends up being the number two receiver in this offense. Like if Gabriel Davis can't get things going, even though he's getting to play more, working outside, he's vertical, he's stretching the field. I think there's a chance Gabriel Davis turns in to Marquise Valdez-Scantling, right? The Donovan Peoples-Jones kind of guy, like playing outside, he's still going to get some big plays, but can he truly master the route tree and work his way into, you know, seeing more of the targets? Um, even though he's going to see more of those routes, I still think there's a chance that a guy like Crowder could outdo him. So for me with, with Crowder, I'm going to be over, I'm going to be above the market, like on, on what I'm going to own with him. And a lot of times with a guy like this, like you don't necessarily want to buy into like low ceiling assets, but there's an outside chance Crowder ends up as the number two receiver in this offense. And, and if you are the number two receiver and you do have this proven track record like him, I think he could come through like in a really big way, um, even potentially more than what we saw with Beasley. Not saying that he's better, but like we've got less, you know, there's less talent like in the pool because, I mean, we don't know what to think about Shakir. He's a rookie. Like you mentioned, he's a fifth round pick. Um, if you look at, you know, what we've got with McKenzie, really, he's just been, you know, kind of an additional extra player they've had. They didn't ever really want to rely on him too much. So with Beasley gone, you know, and we've got Emmanuel Sanders not playing there anymore. I mean, I think there's the potential, you know, for Jameson Crowder to do something similar to what we saw with Beasley. And, and I think there's a best case that he does that he does more than that. Like, could they could they all of a sudden potentially use Crowder into wide receiver sets, you know, playing more like a Z and then you may operate digs more like an X. So not to like, like get too nitty gritty about it, but just you've made the point. He's free. He's free at the end of drafts right now. He's going as wide receiver 66. That's too low. Even if he's the wide receiver three on the team, like that's too low for what you want from Crowder. And I think he actually has a little bit more upside than what people think. Um, but what you mentioned is true. Like you'd very, you could very well end up not being able to use him very much because they're splitting those slot reps between him and Isaiah McKenzie. That's totally within, that's totally within the realm of possibility. That's the, that's the big question here. Cause you're right. If he is just their starting slot receiver. And if, you know, we're talking the first Sunday after week one and we see Crowder out there running a route on 80% of balance dropbacks, like he is going to be a must add everywhere. It depends if he's going to get that, man. Mention the McKenzie stat. And just based on those deals, they're I think I'm with you though. I think it's gonna be Crowder. Like McKenzie got signed first. He only got 4.4 million over two seasons. Like that's not starting slot receiver money. Crowder's deal isn't st- slot. It's not starting. great either, but <laughs> it's a little more. But like, why would they? But like, if McKenzie was their starting slot receiver, why bring in Crowder in the first place? You right. Know, why I, think, draft well, I think they want to use. Yeah, they'll want to use McKenzie in other ways. They 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 probably had planned on getting a little bit of work, you know, out of the backfield, like what they did, you know, a little bit last year. Now I don't know if he'll get as much of that with Cook. But to me, like, you need to have multiple receivers anyway in this offense because people get hurt. You know, so that's the other thing we forget sometimes when we see these teams sign other players like they're also playing the long game of a season, knowing that, wow, they do think Crowder's their starter. But if he went down, McKenzie, you know, until then can can contribute, play in 10 personnel, do some other things, play some special teams. But if he went down, like McKenzie probably would blow up. If I had to put a chip on either of these players like going in, it would easily be on McKenzie, though, for, or on Crowder, though, over McKenzie, just for me personally, just looking at the pedigree and looking at what both have proven. Um, all the underlying kind of stuff that we love to look at, like Crowder just best McKenzie across the board in all of those ways. Making a note right now to get Crowder inside my top wide receiver 60 range. It's that's what we're putting the bet on, right? Like let's let's do it. It's yeah. I mean, at that point in time, like we're taking them over like Patriots wide receivers, like Alec Pierce, the John Mechies of the world that I just don't think have that same upside. Crowder could be 
if he's emerging as a starting Bills wide receiver, like he could be a wide receiver three as early as week two in like the and just remember the profile of Davis. It does have a bust side to the boom. You know, the situation looks perfect. He did flash at the end of last year, so he's done some nice things, but you heard the comps I named. Like there's a there's a chance Gabriel Davis completely face plants. Look, we've seen players be out there running a ton of routes and never get, you know, all the targets we think they should. It happens every year in four or five different NFL offenses where, because, you know, we talk about them every week on the show. You're like, well, this person was out there 90 percent of the time, Dwayne, and who gives a shit? They didn't even look at him. Like and and we're not saying that Gabriel Davis is going to be that much of a bust, but it's in his range. Like, man, like his comps are not good. They're most in every guy named like Torrey Smith's probably the best one. It is. I will. I will say, though, we're making like. If he was being priced already as a top 24 guy, that would be where we're drawing the line. But when you look at the other teams, like the Buccaneers, the Chargers, the Broncos, there were a lot of the Dolphins. There are a lot of teams that we also have two wide receivers really locked in the top 24 ranks that I don't think necessarily have the same upside or it's similar upside as the bill is passing game so it's not ridiculous from davis no no I, i'm not I, yeah i'm not arguing that point for sure i think we're on the same page with what his upside could be mm-hmm. i just i want people to understand there is a firm potential for gabriel davis to really bust out the beauty is like his adp right now is really good if yeah. it starts climbing in the summer we probably will put out a little bit of a word of caution who knows maybe i do maybe you don't we'll <laughs> figure that out when we get there but the bottom line is going back to crowder like it is in it there it is in the range of outcomes that Gabriel Davis does bust. And if he does, that means somewhere they've got they're not just gonna all of a sudden start running the ball all the time. That means that like it's gonna be yeah. James Cook, it's gonna be Crowder, it's gonna be these other guys that are gonna have to pick up more of the shoulder, more of the load if Gabriel Davis can't come through like we hope he can. Stefan Diggs, the wide receiver four ahead of guys like Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill. Gabriel Davis, upside wide receiver three that Dwayne and I both plan on being overweight compared to field on. And Jamison Crowder, someone that you should be prioritizing in the later rounds of drafts, thanks to his likelihood and potential to be a legit starting slot receiver in this offense from day one. And I mean, at that point in the draft, Dwayne, he's so free. Like if week one happens and it is split between McKenzie and Crowder, great. Now you know which guy you can cut for whatever handcuff exactly. is available. And I, so. and I I just look at Crowder and I'm thinking of all the potential, like one, he plays in a great offense anyway, and we don't know who the wide receiver two is. He could be the guy. Yeah. Number, the other out, like what if Stefan Diggs gets hurt? Like Jameson Crowder, what's he going to have then, right? Yeah. What if Gabriel Davis busts? What if both of those things happen? There's a lot of outs on the table for Jamison Crowder to have a better season than what people think. If Jamison Crowder was playing for, you know, the Jets or something, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right. And we would still say, look, the talent's there. We've seen it. We've seen it flash, but the offense can't support it. The fact is he's in Buffalo and there's a lot of ways like he could. And he's already going to have value and he could end up with a lot more. Moving on to tight end. Dawson Knox reigning tight end one, not overall, but he was in the top 12 and he was drafted well outside the top 20. So it helped a lot of people. Now we'll be joined by OJ Howard. So going back to last summer, there were real questions being asked if Knox was going to even be the starting tight end. Jacob Hollister was there. Like, you know, I went and found the athletic article, linked it in my article. So I'm not (laughs) crazy. Like there were legitimate smart questions being asked about if Knox would even have the starting role. And I think adding OJ Howard on a $3.5 million deal, 
Like, that's not just a flyer, Dwayne. I don't think that's like adding like James Washington. That's a decent amount of money for someone that does still have that, you know, draft capital and illusion of what could be more um, in the future of their career on his side. So looking at Knox, like the first two seasons of his career, he played at least 75% of the offensive snaps just three times. They were consistently using multi-tight end committees. Now, last year, they really just turned it over to Knox. He ended up hitting that threshold in 16 of 17 games. What's it going to be, Dwayne? Because we're talking about 2022, and I think a lot of times in the fantasy world, we tend to too often just look back at what happened last year and project it forward one more year. When, thanks to this offense's continuity, we really have a larger sample than we're used to seeing across the league. So with Knox, I don't think he plays that same every-down role we had last year. I still think he'll be the primary tight end, but I think it's going to be closer to 70, maybe even 65% of the snaps with OJ also getting his. History also tells us we should expect some regression here. 10 of the 12 tight ends to score eight plus touchdowns on fewer than 80 targets went on to work as the tight end 14 or worse the following season. Rob Gronkowski finished as the tight end one after doing it because he's Rob freaking Gronkowski. Antonio Gates was also an exception to the rule. But Dwayne, man, if Knox is going to be priced as a top 10 tight end, I just... I'm not ranking him like tight end 20. I have him tight end 13, but I'm not going to be reaching on the guy because I think there's, I think he's in a tier with a bunch of other guys. I will happily take instead of him several rounds later. Yeah. And I think, you know, this kind of comes back to when we first started talking about the team at the top, like uh, the other potential path here is maybe the bills use more 12 personnel, right? This year, yeah. if you look at the bills last year, they only used 12, per, 12 personnel, which is two tight end 6.8% of the time. That was 32nd in the league, 14% below the NFL average. So like they were way, way, way down there. It was pretty much a one tight end show and they were used, they used 10 personnel, which is four wide receivers and 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers. They used those, they used those two formations, the third and the sixth most, most respectively, well above the league averages in both. So what we could see um, is maybe those things balance out a little bit more now that the grouping, you know, has changed. But I agree with you. I think there is some risk specifically to Dawson Knox. If you look at him down the stretch last year, um, he averaged 90% of the routes in the final 10 games. And we just want a player to be over 80%. That's typically what top six tight ends get. He was 10% above that. He was over 80% every single one of those weeks. So it wasn't like he just had three or four where he was like at 98% and then some at 70. He was over 80% every single one of those. And that does include the first two rounds of the playoffs and he averaged 16 percent of the targets um, over that course he had a 14 percent targets per route run so if you want to make an upside case um, for Dawson Knox like I think that's that, I think that's how you would project his ceiling you would say okay everything continues to go right for him you know until now he's had an adjusted uh, target share of 12 percent 10 percent 11 percent he's finally going to break free from that and we're going to put him around the 15 to 16 percent range right now I've actually got him projected at 14 percent so taking a slight bump up um, from what he had last year as far as target share, a few less routes, but that's me thinking that they'll also use a little bit of 12. It won't completely be O.J. Howard, you know, taking over. Now, I will say, like, O.J. Howard has done things in his career that Dawson Knox has never done. Like, Dawson Knox, still to this point, yards per route run, 1.16, 1.13, 1.16. He's still well below. So just the average tight end in the NFL is a 1.39, the average. If you look at a tight end one, or, well, sorry, a top three tight end, it's 2.18. He's nowhere close. You look at tight ends four through six um, over the last 10 years, a 1.86. You look at tight ends seven through 12, and this is all PPR, a 1.59. So really, Dawson Knox is not sniffing any of those things. His underlying efficiency in the targets per route run, he's also well below where the league averages are 23%, 23%, and 19% for those same groups, top three 
four through six and seven through 12 at the tight end position. He's below those at 14%, 18% and 15%. So it's kind of like the offense is carrying Dawson Knox along. He hasn't necessarily stepped forward and emerged like the same risk that get, we haven't seen Gabriel Davis long enough to know, is he going to suffer the same thing as Dawson Knox, right? He's going to be fine because the offense is good, but he's not really going to take that next step forward. But we've also had longer to see Dawson Knox, right? This will only be year three for Gabriel Davis. And we've also seen the explosive play element from Gabriel Davis, which we haven't seen as much from Dawson Knox. So I'm with you. I've got Dawson Knox as low end tight end one. I'll be even or below uh, the market, you know, as far as my exposure to Dawson Knox. The big difference to me is just that presence of Howard. Like Davis, I don't consider Crowder even like that similar competition. OJ Howard's getting more money this year than either Crowder or even Isaiah McKenzie. So that's just the problem. And and Howard has has a 2.39 yards per route run season, you know, to his name. I mean, he's got a 2.23. He's got a 1.85. Um, he's he's actually done better in targets per route run than any season that Dawson Knox has had. You know, you would like to think years, so. You would like to think second year off the Achilles, he'll be back to that maybe a little closer. Yeah, I think Howard in a in a redraft format and a really deep league, like man, or just a waiver wire player that you're watching. Um, like I think there's a lot to potentially like. Unfortunately, what it will probably mean if they're if if OJ Howard is playing well. It's just going to be in a mixture of him and Dawson Knox, right? And then we end up just with what we all hate, you know, the tight end by committee. Yeah, Knox literally making only 21000 more. I understand that's because he's still on the rookie scale of things. But, yeah, that $3.5 million mark, that's what the Bengals paid Hayden Hurst potentially be their tight end one. We're also seeing Robert Tunyon at that with the Packers. I mean, it's not the sort of salary that you can just completely dismiss. So, like, you know, I think in Cincy for – Drew Sample, like we're obviously looking at Hayden Hurst as a very reasonable threat to that. I'm not saying Drew Sample has earned as much goodwill as uh, Dawson Knox has in Buffalo, but we can't just look at O.J. Howard and say like, oh, he'll be completely out of the picture. And yeah, Dwayne, when I look at Dawson Knox and I see that he was playing 90% of the snaps and yeah, scoring a touchdown on one of his five targets, but it's not really the sort of situation I want to be betting heavily on. Now that's going to cost a hell of a lot more to get that sort of exposure in the first place. 48 minutes. Look at us under an hour with the team preview. I'm not so sure that'll be the case. Uh, more weeks than not here, but a man can dream. Dwayne, great stuff. One is done, 31 to go. Anything else you want to get off your chest? No, man. Um, what a great team to start with. Like it's, it's fun to start with a team that throws the ball so much. Um, there's a lot of opportunity potentially open, like can one of these players step forward. So look, this is honestly one of my, this is one of my favorite times of the year, like, because I truly go into a deep dive with every team I'm working on the projections and like literally, you know, just really trying to turn over every single stone. Like a lot of, a lot of the time we've spent up until now has been more like macro picture, like zooming out, which is fun too. Like in trying to find trends that we can use for fantasy, different things like that. But now truly getting into like the nitty gritty of each one of these teams. And I feel like this is the point where you really start to get some of your convictions, right? You take those macro takes, you combine them with some of these micro takes. And, and this is where really everything starts to come together as far as um, what will this fantasy season look like? You know, who are going to be the players we're touting the most and, and having conviction around them right? Why we feel the way we do about them um, versus up till now, not to say we haven't been doing our research, but it just hasn't been as deep as what we're doing right now, going deep with every single one of these teams. I'm going to figure one more way to say deep again before the (laughs) podcast is over. I just did it. (laughs) 
Yes, we will have these out again Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, all throughout the offseason. Dre and I will be back on Wednesdays moving forward doing our best ball drafts over at Underdog. And we'll be we'll be mixing in some Q&A uh, episodes in there as well, trying to hit on all the relevant news. So we'll keep you updated. And I really like to believe that if you want to go out there, win some fantasy championships, listen to us. We will try to cover uncover every single stone, you know, teach you how to fish, but also give you the freaking fish along the way. So that's always the goal here. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.